welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Matt Carpenter on October 10th, Lord's Day Service. text this morning is the book of Leviticus chapter 4. Leviticus chapter 4. We'll read verses 1 through 10 and then we'll skip to chapter 5 and start in verse 14. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel, saying, if a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done, and does any of them. If the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord for his sin, which he has sinned a young bull without blemish as a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, lay his hand on the bull's head and kill the bull before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. He shall take from it all the fat of the bull as the sin offering the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat which is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys. He shall remove as it is, as it was taken from the bull of the sacrifice of the peace offering and the priest shall burn it them on the altar of the burnt offering. But the bull's hide and its flesh with its legs, its entrails and offal, the whole bull shall he carry outside the camp to a clean place where the ashes are poured and burn it on wood with fire. Where the ashes are poured out, it shall be burned. Skip down to chapter 5, verse 14. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, If a person commits a trespass and sins unintentionally in regard to the holy things of the Lord, then he shall bring to the Lord as his trespass offering a ram without blemish from the flocks with your valuation and shekels of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary as a trespass offering. And he shall make restitution for the harm that he has done in regard to the holy thing. And he shall add one fifth to it and give it to the priest. So the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering, and it shall be forgiven him. If a person sins and commits any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord, though he does not know it, yet he is guilty and shall bear his iniquity. He shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish from the flock for your valuation for as a trespass offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him regarding his ignorance in which he erred and did not know it, and it shall be forgiven him. It is a trespass offering, and he is certainly trespassed against the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father and God, you have provided for us the way into your presence. Thank you that we may come through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for teaching us the way that we may walk before you. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
We commonly hear that God cares about the state of our hearts, which certainly is true. But have you ever heard someone say, in the Old Testament or in the Old Covenant, the emphasis is on outward actions. It's on the things that people do. Whereas in the New Covenant, where we live now, it's about what's in your heart. That distinction, I believe, is a false one. And one of my hopes in preaching through Leviticus is that we can see how God has always cared. Not just about what we do, but about who we are. He's cared about this even in the Old Testament when He led His people out of bondage. He was teaching them how to walk before Him in a blameless and upright way. I've said from the beginning that Leviticus provided a way for God's people to return into His presence. That is through the tabernacle. But it's not all. Leviticus isn't just about coming back into God's presence. This book, this giving of the law in worship, teaches God's people how to walk towards heaven. Today, in the passages that we read, we see two offerings. These are the last two of the five major offerings given. And the one that we, the first one that we read about, the sin, or better translated, the purification offering, its purpose was to cleanse or to restore purity. We see immediately in chapter 4, verse 2, that this sin, excuse me, that this offering is for unintentional or ignorant sin. Now, the first three offerings we, we looked at the whole burnt offering, the grain offering, and the peace offering. Those were about coming into and before God Himself. People would bring their offerings to the tabernacle, and it was not for sin specifically, but it was because they wanted to come into God's presence and they brought this animal because they were, they were glad, they were thankful. They wanted to come and worship and give thanks to their God. But this is specifically for sin. But not just any sin. It's not for intentional sin. In fact, one of the interesting things about the law is you don't find offerings for intentional, premeditated sin. There's not anything given where we're told, do this, if someone commits a murder, you can offer this offering and the murder will be covered. No, if you committed high-handed, premeditated sin, there is punishment. The punishment was death. And there are a number of sins that had this punishment attached, but the, the sin offering that we see, or this purification offering, is for unintentional sin. So after, the, after they would kill the animal, the only parts of this sacrifice that were used are the blood and the fat. 
So they would offer the fat on the altar and then the priest would sprinkle the blood on the various elements of the tabernacle, on the, the holy furniture. They took the rest of the animal then. It was cut up and it was burned outside the tabernacle in an ash heap. Now there were two types of purification offerings and, and we did not read all of chapter 4. It's 35, uh, really interesting verses long. And then it goes on even into chapter 5 verses 1 through 13. But of these two, these two purification offerings, the first one found in chapter 4 verse 3 through verse 21 is when the priest unintentionally sinned or when the people as a whole unintentionally sinned. You see, the priest represented God's people. So when the priest unintentionally sinned, it was as if the entire group sinned. So when he sinned, or when he's offering this offering on behalf of all the people, he would take the blood and he would sprinkle it on the furniture, on the altar outside where the animals were usually offered, but he would also take the blood and he would go inside the tabernacle and he would put, he would sprinkle the blood on the altar inside as well. It's called the altar of incense. The second type of purification offering found in chapter 4 verse 22 through 513 was for any individual Israelite. The blood of the purification offering here would be, it would be only sprinkled on the elements outside. Not inside the tent, but, but the, the altar outside. Unintentional sins are the sins that you committed, but you didn't know that you were committing a sin. Or they could be, as we heard about uh, in the exhortation this morning, sins of omission. When you were supposed to do something, but you didn't do it. Maybe you forgot. How many of us have ever said... When you're supposed to do something, I forgot. Okay? Guess what? That's unintentional sin. It needed a sacrifice. So we can't just say, I forgot is an excuse. Please act like I didn't do it. No, that required an offering. Unintentional sin is still sin. But one reason why I said earlier that calling this a sin offering is, is not the most accurate way of, of describing it is because it's not only for unintentional sin. This offering is also for ritual impurity. So if you touched a dead body, as he talks about in chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, or later on in Leviticus, he prescribes this offering for any woman who had a child. Leviticus 12, verses 1 through 8. If you had a child, you were ritually unclean for a time. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. But, but this is the offering Mary brought in Luke chapter 2. You remember when, G, when they brought Jesus to the temple and it said she was, bringing, she was coming for the time of her purification. That's the purification offering that's prescribed in Leviticus 12. The purification offering addresses 
the messiness of life. People sin against us all the time. That's something we would all agree to, right? We can recall times this week when people have sinned against us. We might not be able to, call, to recall quite as well the times we've sinned against other people, which is human nature. But that sin has to be dealt with. But in addition to the fact that we sin against other people and they sin against us, there is just present in this day, there's just messiness in life. There are unpleasant things that exist because of evil in the world. The pains of birth are a part of the curse in which we live. Dealing with dirty diapers are a part of the curse. Dealing with death, with sickness, is a part of the curse. We live in a world polluted by death and its effects. You see, in Scripture, anytime you lost bodily fluid, it symbolized a loss of physical strength. This is a kind of death. And you can't bring death into the tabernacle. You, because remember, the tabernacle is God's holy space. It's holy ground. It represented the place where the Almighty dwelt. And you can't just walk in there and bring all the, the impurity that you have. That's why the blood is sprinkled not on the person who's offering the, the sacrifice, but the blood is sprinkled on the elements in the tabernacle. Have you ever wondered about that? Because we read this often through a New Testament lens, so we think, where does the blood go? It's always applied on the person. Not necessarily. It's applied here to the altar. The blood of the animal cleanses the law reminds us, this law that we read in Leviticus, it reminds us that we are surrounded by death. Even when we do good things, there is death. So someone who's working in the nursing profession, who's taking care of people who are sick, would be ritually impure in the Old Covenant. If you took care of an aging relative who died in your home, you would not be allowed to come into the tabernacle. You, you could not come without going through the rituals required to have your impurity removed, even though you're doing a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But this is actually not just a, a, a negative statement about the Old Covenant. The good news for us is that despite the evil we face, despite the messiness of life, all those little things, the little sins that spoil the garden, God was telling His people in this offering, He's telling them, it will not keep you away from me. 
We, we look at this and say, why all these restrictions? Whereas people back then would look at it and say, there is a way we can overcome the restrictions to come before God. There's a way through all of this. You don't have to wait. He's provided a way to come to Him. Despite the sin that we commit and that others commit against us. The next offering is called the, the guilt offering or another translation is the, the reparation offering. That's in chapter 5, verse 14, actually through chapter 6, verse 7. These are also for sins of ignorance. They are unintentional, but it was more serious. It's when a person in some way takes what belongs to God. As he says in chapter 5, verse 14, excuse me, verse 15, if a person commits a trespass and sins unintentionally in regards to the holy things of the Lord, he shall bring to the Lord a trespass offering, a ram without blemish from the flocks. So, so you say, what, what is this whole sin of the holy things that belong to the Lord. This could be taking an object that was dedicated to God. Do you remember Jesus condemned the, the, the Pharisees for neglecting their parents by dedicating things to God? And he said, you call it Corbin. Do you, do you remember that story? That's from Leviticus 5. Because if you dedicated something to God, it could not be given somewhere else. Well, they understood. But they were using that law to get around the greater command to honor your father and your mother. But they weren't just making up something random. They were applying what is taught in Leviticus chapter 5. So whenever you would dedicate something to the Lord, if you took it, then you had to bring an offering for that. May, perhaps when you're bringing one of your offerings to the Lord, let's say for the peace offering, and, and you brought all of your stuff in and the animal is butchered, but you, you happen to take one of the things that belongs in the tabernacle and you took it home. Just like we had potluck last week. Have you ever taken the wrong dish home from potluck before? You ever got something mixed up? Well, that could happen in the tabernacle as well. Those things happened thousands of years ago. But if you took something that belonged to God, it's not just, oh, let me run this by on my way home. No, that was holy property. And you were potentially bringing a curse on yourself if you kept it. Now, again, if it's done in ignorance, that's why this is for a sin that is committed in ignorance. There is an offering. And it can even include if you take an oath, which would require you to invoke God's name. If you invoke God's name as an oath, and then you broke the oath, you had violated the sacred name of God. And th this is found. I mean, you, you can read this. He talks about it in chapter 5 and early in chapter 6. 
all of this demanded a reparation offering. I say reparation because you would have to bring an animal, and not just any animal. It's this specifically, it had to be a ram from your flock. You know, the other animals, if you were poor, you could bring some, you know, an animal that was less expensive. So most of the, the other offerings, you would bring a bull. If you didn't have a bull, uh, you would bring a sheep, and it could be maybe you, you had a female. You could bring a female because they're less expensive. Here it has to be a ram. The most expensive animal you have. So let's say, just to, to bring up a modern example, some of, some of you may not be able to relate to this, but if you have three cars, okay, you would have to, if you, to make your reparation, if you had to give one of your cars, you'd have to give the nicest one. You couldn't give the falling apart, beat up 1989 Chevy Corsica and say, this is my reparation offer. You'd have to find what is the most expensive animal, usually the ram, because a lot of people, all they had would be a ram. But when you're talking about the holy things of God, it's not just something you can ignore. And it had to be worth at least one-fifth, or it had to be worth 20% more than the item you took. Hence the name reparation offering. You're having to give reparations. You're having to give more than you took. If you accidentally stole something from God, and he even makes a provision if you accidentally stole something from someone else, if you, are, if you observe this, you can make the restoration yourself. You pay 120%. In Exodus 22, if you steal from someone, you premeditated that you were going to steal, and you steal and you're caught, then you have to pay double, 200%. So this was an important offering, and people did not want to violate it. So what is it that we can take from these? Because the first three are easier to understand, but the purification offering and the reparation offering, they're, they're different. But they still teach us. One of the things that they teach us is that we are all separated from God. We all, all of us, no matter how much you've sinned or how little you've sinned, we are all separated from God. We are affected by our own sin. We all know that we are sinners, but we're also affected by the sin of others. Think about Abel. Have you ever wondered about Abel? So little is said about him. We read the time of his birth, and then we read about his death. And he had just given an offering to God before his brother kills him. We know nothing else about Abel, but we do know this. He was separated from the garden of God. He was removed from God's presence. Was it because Abel himself sinned? Well, yes, you can say, well, 
he was a sinner because he was born. He, that's true. But do we ever read about Abel's sins? No. We read that his, that his sacrifice was righteous, whereas Cain's was not. Yet still, Abel bore the, the responsibility. He, he bore the consequences of his parents' sin. Abel was also removed from the Garden of Eden. He could not go back into God's garden again because of the sin of his parents. His fellowship with God was cut off. He needed restoration to the Father, even though we never actually read about him sinning. The same is true for us. We know we sin. We are sinners. But you are also affected by the consequences of other people's sin. And again, this is something we have an pretty easy time understanding because we all know how we've been sinned against. We know the people who have hurt us. We know the job promotions that we deserve, but someone else who used insider information or who buttered up to the boss or who lied on the reports or something like that got the promotion instead. We know the people who gossiped and because they did all the right underhanded things to get something more than we did, we know that. We know how those consequences affect us. We also know how they usually lather us up into more sinful attitudes as well. However, we need restoration because we are affected by our own sin and we're also affected in the consequences of other people's sin. There are sins that we are, that we face consequences for that are absolutely not our fault. Just like ritual impurity. Have you ever wondered, don't answer this aloud certainly, but have you ever wondered why would you hold a woman who had just had a child, wonderful experience, fantastic, why would you say she's ritually impure? Is that, have you ever asked yourself, is that fair? Reasonable question? Because, granted, our sense of, of fairness and justice is a little bit, it's, it's affected by our modern understanding of the term. But, but what we say, what has she done? What, what, what about a leper? One of the most disgusting, vile, dangerous diseases in ancient history was that of leprosy. If you were a leper, chances are it was not your fault. You didn't go say, I'm going to go bathe in a leprosy pool and... No, you didn't do that. It affected you because you touched someone who had it or you touched a place where someone who had had it had already touched. You probably didn't know it. Yet, if you're a leper, you're unclean and you cannot come into the presence. Not only you can't come into the presence of God, you can't even come into the presence of others. You're affected by this impurity. We all know the impurity that we face, the consequences of evil that come, even though sometimes it's not because we've done something wrong. And how often have we shaken our fists saying, why me? This is not fair. I didn't do anything. I'm not guilty. And I'm having to bear these, these consequences. Why? If you've ever wondered that, I have good news. 
The same Savior who met a leper 2,000 years ago and who touched him and who took away his impurity is the one who will touch you as well. He's unchanging. The same one calls you. And you can say, but it's not my fault. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And you say, but no, I want you to deal with this other person. It's their fault. It's not my fault. And he said, you bring the sacrifice to me. And you know who the sacrifice is? It's the same Savior who is sacrificed for the person who sinned against you. Don't bring your excuses. Come through the sacrifice. Because we live in a messy world. And you will not see justice as you want it here and now. Chances are you will not. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. But I can tell you this. When you come to Jesus, just as that leper did, Jesus removes the impurity. He took the impurity on Himself. If you touch someone who is unclean, you're unclean according to the law. Yet Jesus touched this unclean man. And in time, He will restore you just as He restored the leper. That's why when you read in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, when He talks about death, often in the, in the New Testament, when it talks about death, it's not just talking about the expiration of your physical body. It's, it's referring to Sometimes ritual impurity that would affect you, the separation that would come upon you, that would remove you in your relationship to God and to others. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he, Jesus, himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Jesus came to taste all the death, all the impurity, everything for us. He is your purification offering. And through him, you one day will see all the evil, all the sin, and all the other problems that you have faced in your life, you will see those healed once and for all. But you have to come to the purification, with a purification offering. You have to come through Christ. Another application from these Offerings is this. We, we are called as God's people to make confession a regular habit. Numbers chapter 5 verse 7 specifically talks about the reparation offering. Part of the ritual there was you would have to make a public confession of what you had done. You'd have to speak it aloud. I took and you would name the item or I did this or that. When we sin against others, whether it is intentional or not, and unintentional are things like broken promises, misunderstandings. Confess it. 
Have you ever spoken to someone harshly that you had a perfectly good reason to speak to them in anger or frustration? And then when you thought about it, you you justified yourself saying, well, actually, I was only responding because I was irritated or I'm tired or my blood sugar's low or I didn't have a quart of milk in the refrigerator, whatever the excuse is that you make. When, When you sin against someone and you have good reason to, you say, it's okay. No, it, it, it's still sin. And we're called to confess. So one way we can apply, this is one way we can apply the purification and the reparation offering in our own lives. Because sin not only separates us from God, it separates us from one another. Christ came to bring us back to the Father, but also to restore our relationships to each other. So let me ask you, are you harboring grudges against someone in your family? Has someone sinned against you? And you know that you didn't deserve it. And whether or not they intended to do it or not, You're holding that against them. Well, confess. If if you've sinned against someone, confess. And then if someone has sinned against you, forgive. You say, well, what if they didn't ask me to forgive them? Okay, you still cannot hold on to that bitterness in your heart. Again, we live in a messy world. And there are people who do things to us that they don't understand that they sinned against us and you have a choice. You can say, I'm going to hold it forever because uh, he didn't apologize and I'm not going to do anything until he apologizes. Well, you can hold that until it rots your soul and it will. So forgive. For the sake of your walk with the Lord, forgive. A home or church that is filled with God's grace is not marked first and foremost by the absence of sin. But a home or church that's marked with God's grace is known by the aroma of forgiveness that abounds. Make your home a place of forgiveness. Finally, we learn from this passage that God cares about the direction of our lives, not just our individual actions. We all sin every day. But your allegiance to Yahweh, your allegiance to the Father is demonstrated by your walk. No one stays stationary. You're either walking towards heaven or you're walking towards hell. You're either loyal to Christ or you're loyal to Antichrist. And you say, well, I've never said I'm, I, I've never taken a pledge to Nikolai Carpathia or anybody like that. So I'm obviously loyal to Christ, right? Well, no, not necessarily. <clears throat> the best way and, and the more prominent way of understanding that is, are you loyal to Christ or are you loyal to yourself? Because the place where Antichrist gains his seat is beginning in the human heart. 
The way of obedience for Yahweh's people in the past is still the way of obedience for us. See, He was directing His people in how to come to Him, not just one time, but how to come to Him on a consistent basis. Now, we don't bring animals anymore, thankfully. We don't have to do that. But we still have a sacrifice. And that's our Lord and Savior. God is teaching His people then and He's teaching us now how to walk consistently in daily repentance. It's not a one-time choice. It's an everyday walk. So when you fall, as we all do, do you get up facing towards the heavenly city? As you pursue God, as you walk towards heaven, He will show you what you need to change. He will bring conviction. But when you fall, confess and keep on going. This is the gospel according to Leviticus. The more you walk towards Christ the more you will become like Christ. And that, brothers and sisters, is good news. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word and thank you for showing us the way to come. Thank you for giving us a path in which to walk. Cause us indeed to grow in love towards you and love towards our neighbor. We pray this through Christ our Savior. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.